We're doing a series called Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus. Last week, we saw the way in which Jesus devoted time in prayer with God the Father all the time. It was just a natural part of his life. And if we want to become like Jesus, then one of the key things we have to do is start to see how he lived and then start imitating the way he lived for ourselves as well. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray today that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and help us to follow as Jesus leads us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just about a year ago, a man walked into a school in Florida and slaughtered 17 students and teachers. This past week, one of the friends of one of the girls who died committed suicide because she was dealing with survivor's guilt, among other things, but survivor's guilt was what drove it to that point. And I don't know about you, but as a parent, I would be shattered by having somebody kill my innocent child for no reason at all that anybody can figure out. And then to see another, one of my children, take her own life. And at a time like that, you've got to ask the question, is God good? Most of us ask that question from time to time. Sometimes it just comes from our own doubts. Sometimes it comes from just seeing the suffering around us. As you watch people battle with cancer, as you watch people battle with the loss of loved ones, there's always that question in our minds, at the back of our minds, is God good? But the problem is that sometimes Satan will sidle up to us and he will build upon those doubts and make us doubt the goodness of God And when we doubt the goodness of God, sometimes we turn away from him and we do our best to meet our own personal needs in ways that actually harm us, in ways that further our separation from God as well. How do we handle those times in our life when the question, is God good, comes before us in such a way that it's not something we can suppress, but it's right there in front of us and we must and have to wrestle with it? We're going to find out that sometimes God allows that to happen. Because he wants to test us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to work our way through that question and come to the place of trust in him. And there was an occasion in the life of Jesus in which he was tested to doubt the goodness of God. He was tested to the absolute extreme, an extreme none of us can go to, to doubt the goodness of God. And the way he responded is a lesson to us as well. That he then, at a point at at that time, shows us, as he shows us in multiple times when he gets tempted now, that when Jesus was tempted to doubt the goodness of God, the one place that he could go that declared the goodness of God was the scriptures. Because in the Bible, God has declared his goodness to us. And sometimes subjectively in our lives, we're going to doubt the goodness of God because of the experiences that come our way. We have to have an objective place to go that declares for us that God is good in such a way that our brains can interact with it and where we can restore our trust in God. There are times when Satan will tempt us to doubt the goodness of God and to meet our personal needs by going outside of the will of God. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is that none of the disciples were there when this happened. And so Jesus told them about this experience and the Spirit of God reinforced it And then it was written down in the scriptures for our education. And so if you want to turn in Matthew chapter 3, we'll pick up there. And we found that Jesus developed and based his trust in the goodness of God on the word of God. 
And here's why that's so important. Because the experiences of life and the world around us are so filled with suffering. And evil rears its head so often that it is a natural thing for us to doubt in the goodness of God. And in order for us as as followers of Jesus to work our way through that, we have to learn to follow where Jesus went. And Jesus went directly to the word of God in order to counter those temptations. So let me set the scene for you. We read in Matthew chapter 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So stay with Matthew as he describes this to us. That at his baptism, where Jesus identifies with us, that's why he was baptized, to, to show his allegiance to the human race. I have come as God, but I've come as a man. And as a man, I'm being baptized to demonstrate my allegiance to you. What I'm going to do is for your benefit. At that moment, the Spirit of God came down and alighted upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So Jesus demonstrates his allegiance to us. God demonstrates his allegiance to Jesus by sending his spirit upon Jesus and by making that public declaration, this is my son. Jesus is now going to demonstrate his allegiance to God by trusting God's word. Now, I don't know if you know it, but when they wrote the Bible, they didn't put in chapter divisions and verse divisions. Those were added years later to help people in the study of the Bible. And so unfortunately, between chapter 3 and chapter 4, there's a chapter division that shouldn't be there. Because we read this, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Do you see the sequence? The sequence follows. God has demonstrated and declared his allegiance to Jesus. Jesus now is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. (laughs) And the first question is, really? Why would God do that? Jesus was led and you're going to, what, what's going to happen is he is going to be face to face with the strongest possible temptation that any human being could face. He's face to face with the deadly enemy of God. As we study the Bible, we find you don't find one place where it tells you about the devil, but you add these pieces together and you find out that the devil was an angel who wanted to become equal with God. He wanted to, to become totally God's equal. And so when God created human beings, what the devil did was he stepped into history to try and pull the human race into allegiance with himself. That was his goal at that point in time. And his goal is if he cannot get your allegiance, he wants to destroy your allegiance to God. If he cannot get your allegiance, he wants to destroy you. The bad part about it is even if you give him allegiance, he's going to destroy you anyway. So he's a destroyer in all of this. And one of the words for for him is the devil, and that is the opponent of God. Another title for him is the tempter, where he comes to us and he seduces us into following his leadership into places where we will do damage to ourselves and where our relationship with God will will be harmed. And so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Why? Why in the world would he start his ministry this way? several reasons that we can think of. One was to demonstrate his backward allegiance to the Father. That he's going to be tested now to give up his commitment to God and God's program for the salvation of human beings and instead follow Satan's leadership. And so he's going to be tested there. 
Another reason is for us to see as we watch him go through this that he was God and man at once. As man, he's going to be tempted. As God, he is able to resist that temptation even though the temptation is full when he is tempted. And so one reason, again, is to demonstrate to us the deity of Jesus Christ, his absolute purity. And then the third one, I believe that there's a lot of them, but but the third one that I found is this, that Jesus models for us how we handle the temptations of Satan. And he models it for us by going to the word of God and defending himself against Satan by using the word of God. And we go, why? Why didn't he just chase him away? Well, he eventually does. But Jesus is also modeling for us the fact that he was dependent upon the spirit of God. He was dependent upon the word of God in his living out his life. And that's where we are as well. Luke adds that full of the Holy Spirit so that we're aware that when he was out there in the wilderness, he wasn't abandoned by God. God was with him during this time. But as a human being now, he's being tempted by the devil. And the picture is not that just at the end of 40 days and 40 nights he was tempted, but that throughout the 40 days and 40 nights, Satan was attacking him constantly, trying to break him down. Interesting thing, by the way, the first temptation is going to have to do with food that Jesus faces. When was the first temptation human beings ever faced? What did it have to do with? Food. And it was in a beautiful garden, whereas he's in the wilderness, surrounded by wild animals, to show that he is now countering what happened when we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And so he's led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After 40, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I could have used the sermon to preach on fasting, but we'll move right along. Okay. Why did he fast? I mean, why do that? Well, again, fasting was a, a, an act whereby a person would say, I'm going to forego eating food, and I'm going to spend that time in the presence of God and learn total dependence upon God. And that's what the, the goal was of his fasting. A human being can fast for 40 days and 40 nights, but by that time you're on the verge of absolute starvation. You cannot go any longer. After that, you will die of starvation. And so imagine now Jesus in his humanity at the point of starvation after 40 days and 40 nights. What does he want more than anything else in the world other than food? And the tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now remember their bread looked like stones, those flat stones that you'll find around in the wilderness, plenty of them around him, absolutely starved. And the tempter says to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now he could have, okay? He could have instantly done that, turned those stones into bread. No problem at all. Well, why not? I mean, he's hungry. Why shouldn't he have done it? Here's a sort of a precy, a summary of what the tempter is saying. Son of God, hungry? That's ridiculous. If God so loves you, why would he expose you to the suffering? Provide for yourself by making some nice, warm bread. See what he's doing? He's challenging the love of God. Why would God do this to you? For 40 days and 40 nights, you've been out here demonstrating your allegiance to him. You're on the brink of starving. Surely God is not good. Surely God would provide for you. By the way, at the end of this time, God does. Jesus knows that's coming. And so there's that challenge to him. 
doubting the goodness of God. He's going to do that with you and me and our lives as well. There are going to be times when we go through extended periods of difficulty. And, and you'll see next week, we presume that God is supposed to stop the suffering. That God is supposed to stop in and shorten the time of difficulty that we're going through. We presume that if God is not bailing us out or if God is not bringing good things, then therefore God is not good or God is not powerful or God just doesn't care. That's what's going to happen inside of our minds, okay? And Satan wants to break our trust in God. He wants to break our allegiance. You'll see in a moment, that's one of the things God wants to develop is our absolute trust in him. And that's why sometimes he takes us through testing. Jesus answered him, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, in each of the temptations, we'll look at another one next week. In each of the temptations, Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Book of Deuteronomy was the second statement of the law that was given to Israel before they went in to take possession of their land, the land of Israel. It was God gave them another statement of all of his laws that he wanted them to obey. And it's called the book of, dis- of obedience. <laughs> and he's saying to them, here's, and remember this, God is saying to the children of Israel, I will protect you and I will give you a land flowing with milk and honey. The only way I can do that, though, is if you stay committed to me. You stay faithful to me. If you're unfaithful to me, your enemies will be able to get in and destroy you. If you're unfaithful to me, I will not be able to bless you. And so when God's giving them a law, he's he's simply setting the boundaries. He's saying, stay within these boundaries and I will be able to bless you. Why would they have to know that we must trust the word of God? Well, back when they wandered in the world, what happened is the children of Israel, Israelites were taken out of Egypt and they were brought up to the entrance to their land. I should actually just hang a, 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 what do you call it, a map right here. Okay, so let's do our map. Sea of Galilee, okay, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Mediterranean Ocean, the land of Israel. Okay, God led them out of Egypt to take them to a land where he was going to prosper them. But when they got to the border, they didn't trust God. They wouldn't go in. They were too afraid. And so God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And what he did is for, for those 40 years, he was there preparing them now to be able to go into this land and do it right this time around. And during that time, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. God said, all right, you're not ready to go in and take all the blessings that I'm going to give you. I've got to prepare you as a nation for that. First, you've got to be humbled. You've got to realize, okay, if you say no to me, you're going to suffer. And they did, wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years. But he also then was testing them. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to follow me? He humbled you by causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God took them through that time, and during that time they went through a period of hunger. When they cried out for him, he sent them miraculous food. It's called manna. (laughs) And the word manna means, what is it? I love it. The stuff came down from heaven to feed them. Absolutely delicious, perfectly nutritious, kept them alive. And the only name they could come up was, what is it? We don't know. How do you explain what this stuff is? They eventually complained about manna. They got sick of it. But it's like, oh, geez. All right, never mind. More like us. Okay. 
God's saying, so what I'm wanting to do is to teach you to trust me. He was going to take them into a land where they were going to have to fight enemies greater than themselves, more, more uh, militarily pre- prepared, and he was going to defeat them, but he needed them to obey him. He needed them to be like soldiers who will trust their, their commanding officer and will follow him. Did you know that on D-Day, there was a general named Theodore Roosevelt who led his troops personally into battle. You go, no, no, no. Theodore Roosevelt had died years before World War II. You've got the name wrong. Nope. His son. His son was a brigadier general. And most of the generals stayed back because they had to watch what was happening. Theodore Roosevelt, I guess the junior or second, I don't know what, I should have looked up his title better. He was there in the midst of the fighting as they hit the beaches on D-Day. And he was there fighting, rallying his troops. <laughs> they, were, they, they would even laugh at him, this guy is nuts. He would drive around in a, beat, in, a, in a jeep while all the bullets were flying. He was there leading them forward. And God is saying to, to Israel, you need to trust me. And you've got to learn to obey my word. And Jesus says the same thing. When he answers the, the temptation of Satan, he's saying, I'm going to live by what God has told me to do. I'm not going to go outside of the will of God in order to meet my need. Now, we say, yeah, but he was God, so the temptation wasn't that strong. Actually, the fact that he was God made the temptation even stronger than anything you and I would ever face. You see, when Raymond is tempted, the stronger the temptation gets, the quicker Raymond gives in. Maybe with you, it's not true, but with me, as temptation gets greater and greater and greater, I eventually cave in. In Jesus' case, that temptation was completely full-blown and sustained and never let go. And he said no. In his humanity, he was dependent upon God the Father and God the Spirit. In his humanity, he was a warm, normal human being, starving at this point in time. And in his humanity, he was feeling the full blow of this temptation and did not sin. He did not sin because he's God, but he was tempted fully. And that's why the Bible says he's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. You go, Ugh. he was never tempted to binge on TV. Okay? In every way means, in every way that we face temptation, he was tempted. And when he was tempted, it was full-blown. And he was able to tempt it by declaring to Satan, no, I'm going to stay obedient to the word of God. So therefore, the lesson we learn from him is I must base my trust in God upon the word of God. Remember this, objectively, the world is going to is going to push us the opposite direction with all the suffering that is around us, with all of the evil we see in the world. This guy in, in, in New Zealand last week slaughtered 50 people, 50 people in, the, in two mosques. Absolute horror that, that he dis, depended on. That kind of evil in this world is enough to, to make us think there can't be a God of love. Or if there is, he's not strong enough. And in order for us to be able to handle the temptations that come our way in our life, we need to know what the Word of God teaches about us being tempted. First of all, we need to know <laughs> that we're going to be tested. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See that word testing in there? Verse 3? Because you know that the testing of your faith? That is the Greek word parosmos. 
And that word can be translated two different ways. Test or tempt. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay. So there are times in our life when we go through some kind of, of, of testing where God exposes us to something because he's wanting to build our strength. It's a time when, when, when we're facing something that's going to reveal, do we trust God? Will I trust God? Will I walk with him? Satan can use the same event to tempt us to sin. And we face that opportunity. Which way am I going to go? Am I going to give in to it and I'm going to become weakened? Or I'm going to choose to trust God during this time of testing, knowing that when he does this, it's in order to build my strength. Just as a coach will put his team through testing, He will push them and push them and push them, make them run further, make them lift more weights in order to build their muscle. That's what God does in our life, where he takes us through times when we're tested and he's testing to see how faithful you're going to be. So beware when when trouble comes, when you go through a difficult time in life. It's not that God has abandoned you. It's not that God doesn't care. It's that God is going, okay, Raymond, let's see how you're going to handle this particular temptation right now in your life is it going to prove to be a test which will strengthen you or is it going to be a temptation which is going to weaken you and james says and this is by the way the first letter written to the churches concern oh i'm going to tell you one other cool thing his name wasn't james his name was jacob jacob and so the book of james should be called the book of jacob the translators of the King James Version called it James in order to honor King James. How pathetic is that? Anyway, so Jacob chapter 1 tells us that when these tests come our way, we can consider it to be joy. God right now loves me enough to test me because he wants to find out do I love him in return. He said, but, but then God is tempting me to sin. James says, uh, no, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. He says, when you make the wrong choice and you go in the direction where it leads into sin, God is not to blame. He's given you, as a child of his, he's given you the capacity to make the choice. Which way are you going to go? And often what we will do is we will follow after our own evil desires. I'll come back to that in a moment, but just think about this. My son is an avid fisherman. He catches fish. I go with my son. I feed the fish. I just put nice bait on a hook and I put it in the water and they eat and then I pull it out and put some more bait and put it back in and they eat and so I just feed the fish. But when you put a bait on a hook, it's in order to fool the fish. So the fish will come up Take the bait, the hook will set, and you've caught the fish. Now can you imagine a fish swimming along and finding Raymond's naked hook in the water after somebody else has eaten it? And the fish looks at my naked hook and says, Ha! That should be tempting to me, but it's not. So I'm going to go find something to hang on it. And he goes and he finds a little bit of fish flesh somewhere, and he hooks it onto the, the thing and says, Now, now it's ready. No self-respecting fish would bait the hook himself, would he? You and I do. We bait the hook ourselves. And therefore, we're to blame when those kind of things happen. Have you ever wondered, what would it be a definition of lust? 
So I'll give you a definition of lust. Lust is to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way or to an illegitimate extent. Lust is to meet a legitimate need I have like hunger in an illegitimate way by eating french fries or to an illegitimate extent by eating the whole plate. We have somebody here who can testify to Raymond doing that. The other night, I ordered a big bowl of fries for the whole table. And I think I ate the whole darn thing. Okay, so is it legitimate to be hungry? Yep. Is it legitimate to stuff yourself with french fries, Raymond? No. That's what lust is is all about. Sex is a legitimate need. But once we step outside of marriage to satisfy a legitimate need, premarital, extramarital, in any way at all, what that has turned into is a legitimate need that we have has been now transferred by us into becoming a lust. And so James says, all right, watch. You're going to go through tough times. You're going to because God loves you and God wants to create strength in you. And when you go through these times of challenge, If you respond to it correctly, you've passed a test and you've grown. If you choose instead during this time of testing to follow Satan's lead, it has now become something destructive, something that is going to hurt you. Well, what should I do when this thing is turning into temptation? (laughs) Flee. Run like crazy. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee. From sexual immorality. I I love it. It's turn and run. When you know it's coming, turn and run. You're scrolling down shows on TV and all of a sudden, oh, babies. You know what I mean? This is not a show I should be watching. And God says, Raymond, it just takes one little click of your thumb. Do it right now. Flee from temptation. Flee from sexual immorality. Immorality, flee from idolatry. That is turning something else into your God. Whether it be material possession, whether it be another religion, flee. Free from the, flee from the love of money. Money itself is not evil. It's the love of money that turns into evil. Flee from the love of money. Flee from the evil desires of youth. Young people desire things that are not wise. Just watch what's happening with vaping right now. Can you believe that, that, that we live in a country where vape manufacturers can make, manufacture these things that are deliberately designed to attract teenagers to come and lead them towards smoking? And the, leader, the, the people who create this stuff go, oh, we didn't think it was going to happen. We didn't do that. So, yeah, right. You gave all these flavors in order to seduce and bring people in there. We're to flee. From that, you go, but okay, okay. So now I'm going through this time of testing, and there's all this temptation, but I'm also facing Satan. Satan is more powerful than I am. Satan is someone that I can't fight in my own strength. That's not true. James says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a very important thing to remember because we constantly have movies and shows given to us that show Satan being able to take control of people and we have no power over him. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the full power. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. 
And so we can come before, when, when we're facing Satan's temptation, we draw near to God because he's the part, part of our strength. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's got to run and run away. And then God also tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted above what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God makes sure that as he tests us, he tests us with boundaries. And the boundaries are, I'm not going to push you further than I know you can handle it right now. And when I test you, I will also make a way out so that you can immediately take that exit when it comes your way. Years ago, I, my brother Peter is 11 years younger than me and my cousin Tommy is 12 years younger than me. And I came out of the house one day to find Peter and Tommy as two little boys throwing darts at each other. You know those darts you throw at a dartboard? And they were throwing darts at each other and then throwing them up in the air and dodging it. And I watched these two idiots playing with darts. And so I told them, give me those darts. One of you is going to get hurt. And my brother Peter turned and looked at me and he said, leave us alone. And just then a dart hit him in the side of the head and stuck straight out of the side of his temple. And it was like, oh, are you kidding? I had to chase him because he was now in so much pain. I had to chase him all around the lawn until I finally tackled him, hauled him down and pulled the dart out. Now, fortunately, the dart had not actually gone into his skull. It was just in his skin and was sitting on top of his ear. So it looked as if this thing had completely pierced his brain. Pulled it out of his head and, and of course, took the darts away. There are times in life when we are playing with fire. There are times in life when we are doing things and shouldn't be doing. And God says to us, don't do that. Don't do that. And we turn to God and at that point we have to decide, do I trust his love? Do I trust his command? And do I turn back to him? Jesus models for us that when we go through times of temptation, that God is with us and that this is a time when he can grow us and when he can protect us. And it, isn't it interesting that when he taught us to pray, Jesus taught us to pray on a regular basis, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Isn't that interesting? You and I go out into this world like we can handle it all on our own. And Jesus said, no, you can't. No, you can't. On a regular basis, go before your father and focus on who he is. He's your father in heaven. Submit to him. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then bring your needs to him. And one of our needs is to pray for protection. We're following Jesus and we're learning from Jesus that in order for us to become like him, we need to cultivate a constant prayer relationship with God. And in order to become like him, we need to learn to know and to trust the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the fact that you have given us objective truth. All the truth we need to live a life the way you want us to live. Thank you that we live in a day and age when the scriptures are available to us in multiple forms. In books, in Bibles, in sermons, in on the air, over the radio, there are multiple ways we can have the word of God impact our lives. And I thank you for that. But I pray that you'd help us to do what James says. And that is we won't just look at the word of God and then go away and forget it. But that we would take to heart and that we would live in obedience to your word. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.